0: Welcome back to Mind Games, a weekly Sellout Crowd production. I am Garen Emig host of the show, columnist for SelloutCrowd.com. Check out my work and the, that of my colleagues at SelloutCrowd.com. Every day, if you don't, you're missing out on some of the best sports content Oklahoma has to offer. That includes Mind Games, the podcast I host every week. Uh, college football for change is a topic. Chris Hummer is my guest from 247 Sports. We'll get to what we're going to get into here in just a second. But first things first, and that is... A thank you to those uh, outside sellout crowd for making this show possible. They include MidFirst Bank, Two Fellows Movers, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Next Gen Roofing, FireLakeJobs.com, 988 Oklahoma's Mental Health Lifeline, and Oklahoma Ford Dealers. Drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. My special guest this week on Mind Games Talks college football with me, uh, writes about college football for uh, America. He's going to talk to me particularly about uh, things that can trickle down from the national level to Norman and Stillwater, relate them to the Sooners and Cowboys at least as much as we can. He is Chris Hummer of 247 Sports. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing, doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. It is a pleasure having you aboard. Um National college football writer feels a little dangerous, a little toxic right now <laughs> because I figure you're looking at your social media scroll every 15 minutes to see what else is breaking. <laughs> is it, is it a little, over, how overwhelming? And uh, if you, if you had to do it over again, would <laughs> you have signed up for something like this? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate,
1: but yeah, definitely, definitely overwhelming. You kind of have to put your visors on at time and focus on the stuff that it sounds so cliche, um, but you gotta focus <laughs> on the stuff that you cover and there's just like nationals, like it's just too much for one person. And like any beat yeah. is too much for one person. Sometimes in my opinion, it's just the same way year. So, uh, but it's definitely not slow in college football. I feel like you have to have a law degree to do the yeah. job half the time now. And, um, it's an interesting landscape.
0: Yes. Yeah, what Ralph Russo told me the last time I did this show, it's exactly, it, yeah, we, I think we got, a, we were all about there. Um. Unless you want to offer some insight into Lance Leipold's contract extension at KU, which came down about an hour ago. Or the, the third, maybe this has, has has your interest, the third signing period. Are they really going to do this? They're going to add a, another football signing period? Is this in the works? It's very possible. Um, yeah. It's
1: been a discussion for a while now. And honestly, like the NCAA signing periods have been something that's been quietly discussed behind the scenes for years, obviously, um, if you yeah. follow college football. Uh, you realize the system is maybe not um, ideal in the way it's set up. I think the NCAA had good intentions when it introduced the early signing period. I, man, that feels like forever ago. I don't remember yeah, the exact sure. year. must have been 2017, 2018. It feels yeah. like a millennia ago in college football. <laughs> but I don't think they anticipated the transfer portal becoming what it was when yeah. they created that. And also, I don't, I don't know if like people listening or even remember this because it's kind of a minutia at the time. But when the NCAA introduced that early signing period in December, they were also supposed to do it in tandem with a summer signing period. Mm -hmm. Um, That ultimately got canceled for a number of reasons. And the lack of that summer period, I think, has created a significant strain for coaches Mm -hmm. um, in December. Uh, We have the official visits that go in the summer, like in June right now but there is no Mm -hmm. mechanism for schools to sign those players in the summer like there was originally intended to be. And I think this third signing period discussion they're having now is supposed to kind of ease some of the burden on coaches. In December particularly, when you have bowl games, when you have conference championship games, when you have transfer portal going crazy, and you're signing a class all at the same time. Um, It's kind of an impossible uh, mix of things to accomplish at one point in time. And I think this third signing period is meant to ease some of that burden for sure.
0: Uh, Gotcha. You mentioned the portal. That's something you've loaded up on quite a bit, especially since the portal has has gone so crazy. And uh, again, I want to relate as much of your your overall coverage to Oklahoma and Oklahoma State as I can. And I'm going to throw what we think is true here. Those of us who covered the Sooners, you tell me if you agree with it. Um, OU is lucky that Brent Venables has adapted to changing times and has embraced. The portal as as a mechanism to you know facilitate a roster construction maybe as opposed to one of his mentors Davo Sweeney at Clemson is is it that seems to be the case here is that how you view it from a from a higher perspective?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think Oklahoma football would be in a lot of trouble moving into the SEC if um, Brian Van did not adapt that measure. Um, Davo Sweeney. Um, For whatever you want to say about him, it's been very successful. He's won multiple national championships. Um, He is still recruiting top 10 classes. Clemson in this current state and time can get away with not taking transfers. Mm -hmm. Um, It might not be as successful as it was in their heyday in uh, the late 20, I guess the 20-teens. I don't really know the proper term for that. But um, they are still competing for ACC championships. Oklahoma was not in position, in my opinion, to really do so in the Big 12 based on what Lincoln Riley left in the cupboard. Um, Brent Venables had to be aggressive in terms of reworking the roster via the transfer portal. And he had to be aggressive changing and be a recruiting too to get ready for the sec, particularly, uh, with the way that defense is formulated and what yeah. he needs to have to be successful. So, yeah, I think Brent Venables has done a very good job in the transfer portal. I believe they had a top 30 transfer class this year. Not quite what it was in 2023 sure. when they had a top 10 group but they added key pieces at positions of need, like Gary Hatchett coming over from Washington to fill a need at yeah. guard, Michael Tarquin coming over to fill a need at tackle on the offensive line and a couple of
0: tight ends. So, yeah, I think Brent Venables has done what he's needed to do in the transfer portal. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the, the change in terms of, you know, if Venables had to load up on defense after his first year, as rough as it was, six and seven, right, in Norman, and he made, he made that realization and he added pieces like Trace Ford Rondell Bothroyd, Jacob Lacey, um, it's it sort of shifted this year to the O-line, as you just mentioned, uh, you just referenced, tight ends. And, and again, there's probably a bigger picture commentary there. Year to year, that's what coaches are going to be faced with. They're, they're going to use – I mean, you're going to have to use a portal at every position, but perhaps one year to the next, you're going to recognize your weaknesses, and you're not just going to be able to develop You know, four- to five-year grassroots players from the high school ranks – to help the problems, you're going to need the portal to get you there.
1: Yeah, no question. And I think you
0: you see an adjustment with the portal based on where a program's
1: at and it's, um, I guess, developmental cycle might be a way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in year one and two, Brent Menables had to be aggressive using the transfer portal to bring in, especially last year, given the first season that you have, mm-hmm. uh, to bring in immediate impact players, like you said. But this year, um, coming off a top five, I think he had a top five class in 2023 in the high school ranks, and then another top 10 class in the high school ranks this year, I think the need in the transfer portal was lessened slightly, which is why I believe you saw Oklahoma take fewer transfers. I believe last year it was 17. This year it's 12. I'm sure Oklahoma will pick up another player too in the spring window. But as you said, right now it's to fill gaps. And right now, given what Oklahoma lost in the offensive line and the shift they're making offensively with Seth Luttrell taking over play calling duties. You need some extra tight end bodies that maybe you didn't need under Jeff Levy and you obviously need offensive linemen to be successful. So I think you're seeing Oklahoma slowly shift away from being so transfer portal reliant to addressing key needs at positions that either
0: either they didn't develop
1: the way they would have liked to or had a need because of a scheme change.
0: 75, 80 miles away in Stillwater you have another sort of case in point. If part, of, if part of being a college football coach is, you know, recruiting the portal and, and filling needs by adding players, uh, just as big a factor, Chris, it seems anymore, is re-recruiting your current roster and keeping them from entering, right? And it feels like the, the, the biggest difference that Mike Gundy has made at OSU, as he heads into a, a Big 12 without the Sooners or Texas Longhorns to contend with is, He's kept a lot of key pieces, right? Uh, Colin Oliver, Brent, uh, Brent Presley, Ollie Gordon was a focus. He got who we, we were sort of on Ollie watch for a couple of weeks back in December around here because we wondered whether he might you know, test, test the portal. Um, so there's, here's an example of, of, of a coach who might come out on balance ahead, not so much by what he adds, but by who he keeps. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. if you look at
1: Bill Connolly's returning production data for the 2024 season and Bill Connolly works three SPN, I think uh, he does the best job in the business in terms of um, painting a picture of what rosters are going to look like the following season based on what's coming back a much better job than returning starters. The traditional stat does mm-hmm. Oklahoma State is fourth nationally and second in the Big 12 in returning production. They returned 77% of their production from last year. And there's nothing more valuable than experience, starting experience in college football. Um, most teams this offseason, no matter who you are, Alabama lost players, Michigan yeah. lost starters. I mean, obviously, Washington lost a stunner starters. Like, Georgia lost a starter, two to the portal as well. Like, no matter who you are, you tend to, to lose talent. And Oklahoma State, for the most part, kept their roster intact. They obviously went to a Big 12 championship game last year. There's a window in Stillwater next year, particularly if maybe they get a little bit more from the quarterback position. And I I don't know how much you want to talk about Oklahoma State quarterback uh, with Alan Bowman coming back and Garrett Rangel, hopefully taking a step for them, at least um, in Oklahoma State's eyes. But they have a window next year with Texas and Oklahoma exiting the league to make some noise and potentially win a league championship. And Mike Gundy found a way to rally the troops and bring everybody back. And it's pretty, it's interesting to see Mike Gundy in that position where he's not bleeding talent. Because only a year ago, I think the national narrative surrounding Oklahoma State was their leading talent. You lost Spencer Sanders and a number of starters. And then yeah. just 12 months later, um, Oklahoma State's in this position where they're retaining nearly everyone.
0: You mentioned Sanders. Chris, I still think about that almost daily. I was like, what? I just, I'm just sad, right? I mean, I, I, OSU fans don't care anymore, maybe. I mean, I think they've gotten used to Bowman. I think they were just glad that Gunny picked a quarterback (laughs) after the, you know, the sort of the carnival that was the first three, four weeks of of last season. But if nothing else, Bowman's, you know, stabilized the offense, stabilized the position. He's coming back next year. That's got to be reassuring, especially in this age to have a returning starting quarterback. Um, I, I still can't think about the guy who was there, where he went and then how he just disappeared. And the, I guess the cliche term, right, is cautionary tale. Is it, is that, is that too convenient a tag to put on Sanders based on the portal? It's,
1: I think Spencer Sanders' situation was pretty, and I mean, we're always taught in journalism not to use the word unique, but um, I think his situation would kind of qualify as that. I think there's some stuff going on behind the scenes at Oklahoma State that Spencer Sanders would have liked to see change. And I think his decision uh, perhaps was a little reactionary in that way, but. I think there's certainly a cautionary tale to that. One, like if you're a college football player, you need to graduate if you can, right? Like Spencer Sanders, if he had entered the portal as a graduate Mm -hmm. transfer, would have had a much different path um, than he ended up having when he ended up at Ole Miss. Uh, I got considerably more options. And second, like you have to have some, I think, some awareness. Um, You don't often see players enter the transfer portal without, at least especially top players, somebody like Spencer Sanders, one of the more accomplished quarterbacks in college football in his career. You don't often see them enter the portal without at least a general idea of what's out there for them. And I don't know if that was necessarily the case for Sanders, but I don't know if you had a 100% understanding of the landscape and then to go to a place with an established starter. And I understand believing in yourself, but you have to have a little bit of awareness about the situation too. And yeah, I I, I think it would have been cool for college football since Sanders finished his career as a Oklahoma state cowboy and, I don't know if Oklahoma State wins a Big 12 championship with Spencer Sanders. Obviously, the offense shifted uh, to a thing that really worked and made Ollie Gordon a Heisman contender. But um, mm-hmm. if you had a quarterback like Spencer Sanders out there last year, I think Oklahoma State would have had a better chance in a couple of the games they lost.
0: If, if you'll allow me to bring up one quarterback no longer with us, us being those who cover football in Oklahoma, I, I'd like to, to bring up uh, Dylan Gabriel just for a second. Uh, again, the Sooners clearly transitioned to Jackson Arnold. Feels like that might have been the case, regardless, right? Of whether Gabriel ends in, ends up at Oregon, um, but if, if 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 again there is a sort of an overlying headline headline of this, maybe both sides win. Arnold moves forward in the offense. Uh, Gabriel potentially seeks, uh, you know, if, if there if the NFL is in his future, and I, I think that's debatable. Maybe Oregon is uh, it becomes a tool by which you know he uses to. to Prop himself up a little bit better. He's certainly, I think going to be NIL compensated in Eugene, maybe a little bit more than he would have been in Norman. (laughs) But do you agree that this is going to be a happy ending for, for both the Sooners with Arnold and the the Oregon Ducks with Gabriel, or is that too convenient to say? I think it's a fair assessment. And I think Oklahoma really benefited from Dylan
1: Gabriel. Um, Oklahoma was in a really weird spot in the post Lincoln Riley era. Obviously their entire quarterback room transferred out and, was starting everywhere in the FBS. I feel like at one point there was four former Oklahoma student quarterbacks starting at different schools. And Dylan Gabriel essentially gave uh, Brent Venables a bridge for two seasons, but Jackson Arnold was always going to be the future at Oklahoma. And I I do agree with your assessment. Um, I think Jackson Arnold was always going to be the guy next year for Oklahoma, no matter what. Um, I think Dylan Gabriel maybe hoped he was going to the league, but I I do agree. I think Dylan Gabriel would be will be – compensated far more this year than he would have been in the NFL in a situation. Um, that's Mm -hmm. the reality of NIL in 2024. And it's a positive thing for people like Dylan Gabriel. Um, he gets to come back, uh, give Oregon a chance to compete for a national championship, get, uh, paid a lot of money and Oklahoma gets to turn to the future. And I I don't think anybody's losing in that scenario for Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma really benefited from Dylan Gabriel and Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma, but this is a situation I think. A rare situation where the school that lost their starting quarterback is okay with it, and I honestly, it's funny. I think you can think of two situations like that this off season, and the other one is also in the Big Twelve at Kansas State. I think they were yeah okay yeah. with Will Howard moving on to
0: Ohio State.
1: So um, the future is the future
0: is Jackson Arnold. And he's going to start in that weird K State loses a quarterback to Ohio freaking State, and they think yeah this. Th- I think that's okay because, you know, Avery Johnson might have something that Will Howard didn't or couldn't. Right. I mean, that's isn't that wild.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's also, I, I agree. It definitely has something, especially athletically that Will Howard maybe didn't, but it's also about your resources as a program. Mm -hmm. um that's something i think people have to think about in 2024 there's essentially a salary cap in college football (laughs) and there's also there's also a window right so like jackson arnold if he's as talented as we think he is is only going to be at oklahoma for three years do you really want two of those years to be sitting behind dylan gabriel um and for avery johnson it's the same thing if you sit him on the bench behind will howard for an extra season do you actually get to keep him for year three like Uh, quarterbacks aren't as patient. So I I think in both circumstances, um, the schools that lost the quarterbacks to preseason top five, uh, I shouldn't put preseason in quotes, but preseason rankings are always funny,
0: are very okay with how it turned out. If the OU fan, the OSU fan, any college football fan, Chris sees a guy that they didn't want to leave, leave. And their first reaction is to say, we weren't paying enough. They just knee jerk straight to the NIL situation is, how, how reasonable is that in, in this era? It must come down to money. It depends on, I mean, it's, it's always circumstantial, right? I
1: think it depends on the school. Um, if you're leaving a G5 program and going to a Power 5 program, it probably is the case, like certainly. And I think there are certainly also some schools in the Power 5 that might be saying similar things. Um, Oklahoma benefited from that this offseason, uh, bringing in Dion Burks from Purdue, I would venture to guess. Um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly something that happens. Um, I know Oklahoma fans might be thinking of a certain offensive lineman who ended up in the sec at Missouri. I didn't say, yeah, I didn't mention his name right when you said that. So yeah, I mean, that situation, I think, I think what people need to know about NIL and think about NIL is yeah, sometimes it is the end all be all there are significant differences in the compensation for a player, but sometimes there's a lot of other factors. Um, like, a proximity to home scheme, yeah, the right. coaching relationship of a person. To somebody. Um, I'm not saying what it was in the Caden Green situation. I, yeah. I'm sure people can infer for themselves based on where Oklahoma's at from an NIL perspective. But yeah, I mean, it, it, certainly happens. It is not, it is not a falsity to say that players leave for money in this era. It happens all the time, but it's not yeah.
0: always the end all be all, but it is
1: certainly a factor for almost everyone.
0: I, th- Tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I swear I heard you say recently that an upper tier, I think you called it, college football program needs to have in the in the NIL war chest four to five million annually. Is that does that sound about right? Is that what I think? I think I, I think I was uh, with my friend down at uh, Baylor. David Smoke had you on his show and you, you, were, you guys were talking about NIL, that kind of thing. Yeah. Shout out to David Smoke. I don't remember exactly what I said. I think. I think it's actually a little higher for an upper
1: tier school. Okay. Um, you're right. closer. And I mean, honestly, these numbers change all the time. And we see schools change their approach all the time. I think you could almost in real time see a school like Ohio State change its approach this offseason. Um, you saw the people coming back and the people they brought in. I think that number for an upper tier collective and not every top program has an upper tier collective or an upper tier mm-hmm. budget. I would argue strongly that schools like Georgia, Alabama, and Michigan have been considerably lower than some other programs. I'm thinking of Oregon, Texas, Miami, uh, the last two or three seasons. But I think an upper tier NIL number at this point is probably somewhere between eight to $10 million. Um, That's a lot more then. Okay. All right. Yeah, a lot more. Um, But not, I would say that's very, I, I don't think that's a high percentage of college football collectives or budgets, but I do think there are a couple of teams operating in that space right now
0: not we don't we, we discard the 30 million that that uh slice bread yeah. once told us about yeah Sli- right. we,
1: slice bread was unfortunately <laughs> incorrect in that situation jimbo had every right to be upset i guess but slice <laughs> bread what a
0: legend <laughs> what makes the sport so great uh that's why we keep writing about it um i want to go continue down the nil road just for a second while i have you uh your your story uh and i know it's gotten a lot of interest from gosh, just earlier this month, right, where you pulled what, 15, I think was the number, high school football prospects uh, at an event, and uh, in anonymity, asked some NIL questions just to kind of get an idea of how real this is. In fact, I think that was the title of, of the piece you wrote, you know, how, how real is, is NIL? I, I want to give you a chance to sort of tell us about that, beginning with the, the, the range of figures that were offered to you, right, uh, Couple thousand a month to a million a year. I mean, it it was just scales were crazy.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think, and part of the I, I should say, as a journalist, I really do wish NIL data was available, like coaching data, right? No doubt. Yeah, like we can't FOIA um, contracts for athletes and their NIL compensation. Um, I think that's coming in the future. Maybe not just from FOIA, just from public available. But right now. Um, outside of one or two specific circumstances, um, the athletic had a great story, uh, with an unnamed tennis, uh, with an unnamed recruit getting paid $13 million. And they acquired that contract a couple of years ago, but other than a couple of circumstances, you really don't see exactly how much a high mm-hmm. school recruit is getting paid. Um, and my goal is to, I don't always like to allow people to be anonymous, but in this circumstance, I think it makes sense to give people the opportunity to speak freely Sure, and I talked to fifteen. Actually, I talked to more than two dozen recruits when I was there. Not all of them wanted to talk even anonymously, but fifteen blue chip recruits, um, four stars or better, talked to me um, anonymously about what they make, what they make per year. And you're right; those salary ranges are drastic. Um, They were as low as I believe seventy two thousand dollars a year for a Power Mm -hmm. Five school, and as high as around a million dollars a year uh, for one specific player. Um, So the market is pretty fluid. And I think it can really change depending on who you are, and who you're talking to. And I talked to a couple kids, and I included that in the piece that like attend schools that don't really pay NIL deals at all. Obviously, there's no longer restriction on inducement based on some recent um, court. Filings. Um, So maybe that'll change. But I did talk to a couple players at notable programs who essentially said that you have to go find your NIL deals even in 2024. So Mm -hmm. it can really run the gambit. And some players are going to prioritize NIL and some players aren't. But we're in an era of the sport where it's quite common for a top tier recruit to be making over $100,000 a year
0: very easily. Yeah. And then there's other things that I don't think fans in general. Uh, understand? They shouldn't understand because I think everyone's still trying to get their wrap their minds around just you know the the idea, um, and the, you know the, the different loops that nil can take everybody. But you know you 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 had guys bring up renegotiation right with you uh, bonuses, the idea of bonuses, bad seeds, bad players, and therefore bad nil contracts. I mean, there's there's a lot that can go wrong here, and a lot that that just is is, is nebulous that. Until there's more of a public record, we're just not gonna have any idea of unless you actually ask directly, as you did. Yeah, and these things these things get
1: messy. Um, I think everybody thinks of like the Jaden Rashada situation with Florida last year. Um, Jaden Rashada, a high like four star recruit, um, ultimately backed out of his nil deal at Florida. Do um, depending on who you ask, to Florida, reneging on some of the things that agreed to, and I think Florida's collective, which is no longer actually the collective at florida would disagree with that sentiment he ended up at arizona state and i mean in the last like in the last like two weeks i can think of a pretty notable player who was a cornerstone of the recruiting class who was still deep in contract negotiations because um their representatives felt like um the terms had changed uh from what they had agreed to and there are a lot of there's a lack of checks in this situation. There's really no transparency. A lot of the time schools are preying on players who are represented by people maybe not qualified to or not represented at all. Um, And they're promising players things that aren't getting paid out. Um, So it's a a fascinating landscape. Um, We're getting to the point where you're seeing players sign multi-year deals. Um, As you said, some players can renegotiate based on how they perform. Some players can lose money based on how they perform. So there's really,
0: there's really no standard to all this right now. Let me, let me finish with with this question. How do you feel about all this? You've been covering national, you've been on the national beat, what, about seven years, eight years, something like that. Sound about, sound about right. Yeah. Thanks, thanks. Thanks for not, not, not to, name. not to, not to stalk your profile. I'm yeah, <laughs> I didn't mean <laughs> just journalism, homework is all, but, but no, seriously, that's, that feels like ages now, right? I mean, if, if you started to do it again on a national level, started doing this 2016 or 17, it doesn't feel that, looked that long on a resume, but hell man. I mean, how do you feel about this? Is, are, are we, are we headed for a crash or we going to swerve and avoid it and be okay?
1: College football as a whole, I mean, I was, it's funny. I was, I'm writing something about the transfer portal right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, the transfer portal was created on October 15th, 2018. And I think Kelly Bryant, the former Clemson quarterback was the first bombshell in the portal, right? Like (laughs) Dallas was replaced, replaced Kelly Bryant in the lineup with Trevor Lawrence, right? Yeah. Uh, Kelly Bryant goes in the portal mid season. It was a huge deal. Yeah. Um. But only at that point, grad transfers are really the only people who can go in the portal. Um. In the time since we've seen the NCAA introduce a one-time transfer exemption, we've seen the conferences uh, eliminate interconference transfer rules. We've seen NIL introduced. We've seen transfer windows added. We've seen the NCAA lose the ability to regulate NIL and inducements becoming the norm. And that's only a small slice of the sport. I'm not even talking realignment and everything. Right. So the sport is obviously going through a significant change. And it, it's it's interesting as a reporter, like I'm sure you feel the same way, but the sport that existed seven years ago is not anything like it is today. And I think that change is only going to continue for the next couple of years. There's no there's no real safe haven for college yeah. football right now because of the lack of guidance at the top. And I think what we're gonna see is continued continued churning and continued change.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, it still love the I still still love the job, still love the sport. I think everyone is adjusting to even if they have to relearn, you know, starting lineups year to year instead of, <laughs> you know, the old two or three years t- turnover. Well, um, that's, that's why we got NCAA football now.
1: You can learn the lineups in the summer. With well, the
0: there you go. See, it's, we should have just done twenty minutes on that, and I think we would have all felt a lot better
1: <laughs> about. You'd probably, uh, you'd probably be the only podcast talking about NCAA football anyway. So,
0: yeah, I. I yeah yeah no no doubt about that. I think it's I think we'll adapt and and, and stay with the sport. Uh, there are some things that I wish weren't true, but um I, I think we'll all you, you and me as journalists, fans listening, uh, coaches and players involved directly with the sport I, th- I think we'll hang in and and, and see this through, but uh, that might just me being Mary Poppins. Chris, will you would you mind letting uh, listeners/ slash viewers know where they can find your work because uh, they need to do it if they haven't already?
1: Yeah, um, you can just follow me at Chris underscore Hummer on, I guess, X now, not Twitter. And uh, <laughs> please, please check us out at 24-7 Sports uh, in between your time at uh, the sellout crowd. Um, we, we cover college football year-round, so we'd love for y'all to stop
0: by. It is a year-round pursuit for, for everybody who covers college football. That's Chris Hummer, a special guest on this version of Mind Games. Thanks to Jacqueline Musgrove, our producer, for keeping us on the air thanks to michael lane for his creative genius behind the scenes as well follow me and my friends at selloutcrowd at selloutcrowd.com we crank out uh, content whether in the written form or podcast wise weekly uh podcasts weekly uh, written stuff daily we do still write type um appreciate your um your your generosity in checking us out if you haven't already if you uh are new to the show on youtube spotify or any other podcast platform like comment subscribe do all do all the cool things and uh and uh, continue to tune in i'll be back next week with another show until then please be well be safe and be kind to each other